0: you are listening to the bellator christie podcast brought to you by BellatorChristi.com. now join your host brian chilton as we enter the arena of ideas
1: And we're going to encourage you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. Uh, we're starting in verse 10. We're going to read uh, some selections from <clears throat> three chapters today. Uh, we're reading from Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 through the end of the chapter. Uh, we're reading the first eight verses of chapter 21 and then the first five verses of chapter 22. Uh, as you know, we've been going through uh, this series called Mere Christianity. And it's uh, beginning to draw to a close. Uh, we, in fact, in the last message of this series will be a segue to our next series on the church and the essentials of the church. Uh, we actually have two more, uh, two or three, maybe more messages left in this series. And thus far, we've already seen the first message. We discussed how God is exclusive; He is the only one, and that He is eternal. Uh, he is transcendent, greater than creation, and that He's also personal, working within creation. We've also discussed how Jesus is 100% God and 100% man, how if you take either one of those aspects of Jesus' identity away, then you lose who Jesus truly is. We've also seen how uh, in the third message how Jesus' incarnation was absolutely important, why the virgin birth is absolutely important as it leads to uh, the atoning work that Jesus would do at the cross. We also saw that uh, Jesus literally and physically rose from the dead on the first Easter Sunday in our fourth message. In our fifth message, we discussed how God is triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, one God, three persons, and that's an absolute essential of the Christian faith. We also see how the gospel tells us that Christ died to save people from their sins, and this act was rooted in the love of God. And last week we noted how Jesus will return and gather his people to himself as promised, just as he promised he would someday return. And so today we want to talk about the end game. We want to talk about eternity and what eternity means for the children of God and also for those who are outside of Christ. So we were going to look at three fundamentals of eternity today. So we ask if you would and are able to, to please stand as we pay homage to the reading and hearing of God's precious Holy Word. And we're starting in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, and then going through the end of the chapter. Verse 10 kind of goes along with uh, the paragraph starting in verse 7, but we want to include this because it's important for our understanding today. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was was found no place for them. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, chapter 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. It is finished, so to speak. Those are the words of Jesus on the cross. It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now let's turn over to chapter 22. And when you're there, let me hear you say Amen. Amen. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore twelve fruits, Each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. They shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. There will be no night there. They need no lamp nor light from the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. To kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for these wonderful words that we just read. And Lord, I just ask, Lord, by, that you use what feeble attempt that I may have to try to explain these things today for your glory. And Lord, we just ask, Lord, that you allow me to speak the words that need to be spoken, holding back any words that don't need to be spoken. And in and through it all, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I uh, came across a story this past week of uh, of, uh, of a couple that had just had a brand new baby, a newborn baby, and both were enthralled by the beauty of this young child. They would often look at this child and just be amazed at how what a wonderful <clears throat> gift of God that they had been given. And one night, this uh, the mother uh, looked was walking down the hallway, and she looked in the nursery to see her husband peering down at this young at this young child. And he she sat back and just watched. As his as his face lit up with different emotions, sometimes there was uh, just sheer amazement, other times there was sheer joy, and sometimes it was almost a, a hint of doubt, of even skepticism, uh, wondering how it is, uh, wondering how it is that this thing could be. And she comes over and she's just and she has a tear streaming down her cheek, thinking how wonderful a husband she has. She comes and puts her hand on his shoulder and looks at him and asks, "Honey." A penny for your thoughts. And he says, Honey, isn't it just amazing? Isn't it absolutely just amazing? It's just mind boggling how it is that we were able to get this crib for $46.50. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, how, the craftsmanship is wonderful. Well, obviously, the husband had his uh, mindset in the wrong place. And the, I think the wife probably smacked him backside the head and walked out of the room. Uh, that's not the uh, ex- that was not the uh, answer she expected to find. But in like manner, beloved, we as Christians often do the same thing. We place our emphasis on the wrong things. We become stressed out. We become anxious. We become downtrodden, worried about the things that are taking place. But I submit to you today, beloved, that if we place more emphasis... Now, understand, I believe politics is important. I understand that. I do. But if we place more emphasis on politics than on the kingdom of God, we have every reason to be worried. Amen? Because every politician, I don't care who they are, nearly every politician will lie to you at some point. (laughs) Nearly every politician has their own agenda, and I don't care who they are. Because they're human beings. They're, they're not perfect. They're going to fail you. Political parties are going to fail you. Uh, and, and that's not just politics, but anything in life. If we place more emphasis on something in this world than we do the kingdom of God, we're going to lose hope. Amen? We're going to be disappointed. And so what I'm trying to say to you today is what we need to do is to place our focus, our emphasis upon the kingdom of God and upon the eternity that God has given us and understand that our first priority, our first allegiance is to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Because in heaven there are no Republicans or Democrats. Aren't you glad of that? <laughs> they are just Christians. And beloved, I'm so thankful for that. And so what I want us to do today is just to simply look at the fundamentals of eternity. And we're going to, through each fundamental, we're going to take a look at a perspective at what hell is going to be like, and we're going to take a look at the perspective of what heaven will be like. So the first fundamental that we must consider is the fundamental of eternal conclusion. We encourage you to follow along with the insert of your bulletin. The fundamental of eternal conclusion, and that is our final destination. The final destination where we shall reside. And we see that there are two different extremes And with this conclusion, that we have one of two places where we will eternally reside. Human beings have one of two places upon which we will eternally reside. And we see first and foremost in chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, that hell is an eternal conclusion of death. Hell is an eternal conclusion, an eternal eternal destination of death. Look back at chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. We see first and foremost in verse 10 that the devil who deceived them was cast in the lake of fire. You're going to see this several times over, and I think it needs to be emphasized that hell was not designed or developed for human beings. Hell was originally designed and developed for the devil, for the false prophet, for for the antichrist, and all those fallen angels, which are demons, who follow after him. That's the place where hell was designed. Uh, That's who hell was designed for. And so we have to see this, that the devil was cast into the lake of fire where the beast and false prophet are. And we see that two books are opened at the great white throne of judgment. And we have to understand that at the great white throne of judgment, no believer will be there. Because we see that there are two books by which God judges a person. Number one is the book of life. If your name is in the Lamb's book of life, beloved, the wonderful news is, you're not going to be at the great white throne of judgment, you'll be at the judgment seat of Christ. Which means that whenever He opens the book of life, He's going to see your name on the roster. He's going to see your name on the roll and says, This is my child. This is my child. The only way that you can get into heaven is because of what Christ has done for you. That's our only hope. So if your name is on the Lamb's book of life, He's going to escort you to the the judgment seat of Christ. And then He'll judge us by another book, which is the book of our works. He'll reward us for the things that we do in Christ. But at the great white throne judgment, you see that these individuals are those whose names are not found on the Lamb's book of life. So their eternal destination is in the lake of fire with the devil and all the and all the false prophets, all the all the the antichrists of days gone by, all the demons. Okay, so he judges this, and I think the book of works in this case, this is my opinion, uh, delegates how much punishment will be given to that person in the lake of fire. So we see that this is a place of death. We see that death in Hades itself in verse 14 is cast into the lake of fire. Again, it's worded as the second death. This is a place of mourning. This is a place of death. And this is a place that you don't want to be, beloved. And praise God, this is a place that you don't have to be. If God's calling you, if God is knocking on your heart's door, you don't have to go to this place of death. Praise God for that. In fact, I'm sure you've probably heard the phrase dead man walking uh, in, in um uh, in places where they have the uh, execution chambers, where they hold individuals who are who are uh, 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 condemned to death by the electric chair or whatever means available, whatever means they use, uh, whenever the person walks from their jail cell to the place of execution, they're called a dead man walking. Well, beloved, I would say to you this: individuals who don't have Christ in their lives, they're dead people walking. Amen because they're playing Russian roulette with their soul if they don't have Christ, if their name is not found in the Lamb's book of life. But praise God, it doesn't have to be that way. Christ desires to save us. And that's a wonderful truth that we find in the gospel. Because we also see on the flip side of this, hell is the eternal conclusion of death, but we also find that heaven is an eternal conclusion of life. Turn with me over to chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. This is a completely different scene that you see here in the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth. Look what's prepared for God's children. And He showed me a pure river, a water of, what is that word, life? Water of life. As clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the middle of it, of the street, and on either side of the river was the tree of what? Life. This is a place of life. This is a place of exuberant life. Jesus uh, comes to provide us life. He died so that we could have eternal life. And this place, this new kingdom that's established, this new Jerusalem, the new heaven and the new earth, is a place beaming with life. Aren't you glad of that? I I just, I I had to think, I thought about this. Uh, It's it's not that way now because Grandma and Grandpa Chilton have done past, Uh, their their house is gone. But I, I know that they're in heaven with Christ. Uh, because they both gave their life to Christ many years ago. But I thought about my summers with my grandpa. Grandpa had every type of fruit and vegetable that you could imagine around his house. He had a pear tree behind his house. He had a cherry tree to the other side of his house. Well, behind the house, he had a Concord grapevine. I used to go out there and swipe a few grapes. I love those grapes out there. He had apple trees back there. Wonderful apples that you could go pick if you could beat the deer and other animals that would get into them. Wonderful apple trees in the back. He also had a a strawberry patch to the side of his house uh, down close to where he had the garden. And in his garden, he used to have every type of vegetable you could think of. He used to grow corn. I used to go out and help him pick corn off the the stalks. He used to plant potatoes, tomatoes, green beans. uh, Anything you could imagine he had planted in that stretch of garden that he had over there. He also had a blackberry patch, a wild blackberry patch, which is where Mom and Dad's house is now. And I used to go out there and help Grandpa pick blackberries. Grandma used to make some of the best blackberry cobblers I've ever put in my mouth. If you've never had a blackberry cobbler, you need to see some of these saints of God and see if he'll fix you one. My goodness, that's my favorite. But I would go out there and I'd help Grandpa pick these blackberries. Grandpa would have two buckets of blackberries, and I'd have half a bucket with blackberry juice all over my shirt, where I ate more blackberries than I picked, and then ended up eating some of his that he picked, and there he had to scold me about doing that a time or two. But as I think back upon this time at Grandpa's house, it was a place beaming with life, every type of fruit, every type of vegetable that you can imagine. He even grew watermelons. I remember he did that as well. That's what I believe heaven's going to be like, a place beaming with life. You know, life started in a garden. Where's Amanda. There she is. I think she'll appreciate this. Life started in a garden. And we see this picture, this depiction of heaven. It is a garden scene with with just trees blossoming forth. Rivers as pure as crystal flowing from the throne of God. Everything is life, living. There's no death. There's no sorrow. There's no mourning. Nothing of the sort. It's a place beaming with life. Of the two places that you see there, which place would you rather go? I'd say heaven. That's where I want to be. But we also see not only the fundamental of eternal conclusion, our destination, we also see the fundamental of eternal conjunction, that is, a union. Each of these places are identified with a particular person. Each of these places are identified with a particular person. Hell is an eternal conjunction or union with Satan. Now look again, back in chapter 20, verse 10. Look who's there, the devil... And, and the false prophet and the beast, they're all thrown in the lake of fire. This is their destination. Okay, this is their destination. And we see in chapter 21, verse 8, a description of individuals who will be there, cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Paige Patterson, in his commentary, I think pegs it right. He says this list, once again, provides a general overall look at the natures of those who deny the Lord. And that's not to say that at some point, at some time, we've never lied or we've never been guilty of these things. But what this means is that we as the children of God, we've had our sins atoned. Christ is our lawyer saying, I have that child, that person's under the blood, I've covered their sins, I've transformed them, I've transformed their life, I've made them a new creation. You see, everything we see about God's work is making things new, making things the way they're supposed to be. He saves our soul. He transforms our mind. One day He resurrects the body. And at last, at the very final point of all time, He resurrects creation itself. He's making all things new back to the place that it needs to be. So these individuals in verse 8 represent those who have never received Christ, those who have to give an account, For every sin they've ever committed. Aren't you glad as children of God that you don't have to worry about that anymore? And that doesn't give us a license to sin. That doesn't give us a license to do wrong. But what that means is as we strive to do what's right in God's kingdom and God's family. That our sins are atoned. They're under the blood never to be charged with those things ever again. And I don't know about you, but that gets me a little bit excited to know that I don't have to worry about where I'm going. I can know that I know that I know that I am born again. Amen? But we also see Craig Keener says that traditional cities kept some people outside of the walls, such as foreigners, traders, and prostitutes. Though these groups could work inside the city, outside the New Jerusalem, by contrast, is hell. The key to remember is this, beloved, a rejection of Christ is an acceptance of satan amen you're either on one of two sides you can't straddle the fence there are no there are no fence sitters on this you're either for christ or you're against him and you have to make that decision as christ offers you this gift of salvation are you going to receive him as your lord or are you going to rebel against him rebellion is following along the lines of what satan has done in the very beginning so beloved if you're not if we don't choose christ we automatically choose Satan. That's why Paul says in Romans 1 that since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what He has made. As a result, people are without excuse. There's no one without excuse. We can all simply look at creation and know that there has to be somebody behind this. Amen? That's why David says the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. And I think he pegged that right a long time ago. But we not only see that hell is an eternal conjunction with Satan, we see that heaven is an eternal conjunction with the Savior. Look at chapter 21, verses 6 and 7. Jesus notes that He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. Who is the one who overcomes? The one in Christ. The one who has received Christ as a Savior. The one who is able to overcome because the indwelling Holy Spirit in his or her life. He who overcomes shall inherit all things Now this is coming after he's described this new Jerusalem. That means we all as children of God inherit this beautiful creation that God will establish. That's our inheritance in Christ. That's our inheritance in Christ. And I will be his God and he shall be my child. He shall be my son. If you go over also to um, chapter 22 verses 3 and 5. Look what he says. There will be no more curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. He will forever be our God, and we shall forever be His people. I want to tell you, beloved, the thing that makes heaven, heaven, is not the tree of life, it's not the water as clear as crystal, it's not the, the, it's not the non-polluted air, the clear air that we'll have up there, it's not the beauty of the place. What makes heaven, heaven, is because God is there, because Jesus is there. And we have that eternal union with the Savior. There's not going to be anything whatsoever separating us from God, from His love. There won't be anything separating us from the presence of God Himself. <clears throat> Mom and Dad weren't able to be here. Dad is uh, having some health issues this morning. But she, I remember Mom telling me a long time ago. She says, honey, if I go before you do, and you want to find me, look for me at Jesus' feet. Because that's where I plan to stay for a long, long time. And I think that should be the statement for all of us. The thing that's going to make heaven heaven isn't the beauty and glory and glamour of it, all the wonders and the, and the sights and sounds of heaven. What's going to be, what's, what's going to make heaven heaven, is because our Lord God is there. And we can have that eternal relationship with Him unhindered, unhinged, that we can see Him face to face as He really is and worship Him in spirit and in truth and there won't be anything whatsoever to stand in our way from worshiping Him the way He deserves to be worshipped. I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I try to get to the, with the Lord in prayer and, and sometimes I'll come even here to this altar. It's a beautiful place to worship in here, just to come just by myself sometimes and worship just here at this, at this altar. And it's an amazing thing, though, as I try to keep my mind in prayer with God, sometimes there's these other things that pop in my mind. Well, I need to do this, or I need to do that. You know, i got to do this, or do that. Wonderful thing in heaven is that time is no more. Amen? We don't have to worry about deadlines. We don't have to worry about any of that junk. We can solely focus on God, and He solely focuses on us. That's what's going to make heaven so heavenly. It's because we will be there with our Savior. We will be there with Him. Last but certainly not least, is the fundamental of eternal condition. What are the conditions of these two places? Well, we first of all see that hell is an eternal condition of dread. I believe if you were... I mean, let's, let's first look at the scripture, chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. You see here again, the book of the dead was opened. Uh, they're judged according to their works. Death and Hades cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. This is not a place of happiness. This is a place of dread. In fact, Jesus even warns us in Mark chapter 9. Now, there are some individuals, let me say this, there are some individuals today who would have you believe that hell is not real. There's the individuals like Rob Bell, I won't go ahead and mention him. He wrote a book called Love Wins, and he is completely well off the mark because Jesus tells us that hell is a real place and that it's eternal place. Uh, it would be nice to think that there's an annihilation that takes place That the person exists no longer But that's not what we find in scripture Because Jesus himself, himself said in Mark 9 If your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out it is, He didn't mean that literally Because if that's the case, all of us would be one eye, one hand, one foot people uh, you know, He doesn't mean that literally But he's t- talking figuratively If your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out For it's better to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So we see that hell is an eternal place. But beloved, understand it's easier to go to heaven than it is to hell. Because to go to heaven means that you just submit and give up to the lordship of Jesus. You receive the work that's done in Christ. And I tell you the reason why people go to hell. I tell you the exact reason. It's an ugly five-letter word named pride. Amen? Because pride leads to destruction. Isn't that the truth? Pride leads to destruction because people had rather die and go to hell and live by their own authority than submit to the authority of Christ and live by His. Amen? Isn't that the truth? That's the exact reason why so many people follow in and go along and go into hell. I saw a a, uh, story, I'm sure you saw it too, I I mentioned it to you before, Uh, the series I saw on the concentration camps in Auschwitz. And I heard one person say, and I think accurately so, that the concentration camps in Nazi Germany were hell on earth. But beloved, I, I want to tell you that as bad as they were, I don't think it even comes close to what hell is actually like. It is a place of dread. It is a place of mourning. But the wonderful news is, beloved, is that we don't have to go there. (laughs) Amen? Amen? Amen. We don't have to go there because heaven is prepared for God's children. Let's take a look also and see that heaven is an eternal condition of joy. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Let's, Let's go back and read this. Beautiful passage of Scripture. He says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I think there are many different opinions on this. There are many different opinions on this, but I personally agree with Paige Patterson who says, What actually occurs at the close of the millennium seems to be somewhat more catastrophic cleansing and purging of the cosmos, which is to say that God recreates everything. He creates a new universe. He creates a new earth. He recreates everything back to a place of perfection. Peter says in 2 Peter 3.10 that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and its works will be disclosed. He goes on to say in verse 12, because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt With the heat. God is recreating all things, making it new. But look what this place is going to be like. He sees, he, John, sees the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Then he hears a loud voice from heaven saying, The tabernacle is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And look at this in verse 4. Oh, this is powerful stuff. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Can you imagine living an eternal, an eternal existence without having to worry about death anymore? Isn't that going to be wonderful? you never worry ever, 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 ever going to have to worry about death anymore. You never have to worry about being separated from your loved ones in Christ. You never have to worry about any of that stuff anymore because death will be no more. There won't be any more sorrow. There won't be any more crying. Now, does that mean if you stub your toe that you won't cry? I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. But there'll be no more crying, no more sorrow, no more pain. I that answered that question. No more pain, for the former things have passed away. Can you imagine what heaven's gonna be like? A place of nothing but utter joy in the Lord. I don't know about you, but it makes me want to go there. Rod and the CMC group have done a wonderful job teaching the kids about the fruits of the Spirit. And I can't help but think that that's, that's what heaven's going to be like. You take a look at the fruit of the, uh, of the Spirit and you amplify that by a billion, I think that what, that's what heaven's going to be like. Love, perfect love. No more dissension, no more problems, no more arguments, praise the Lord. Perfect love, perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect goodness, kindness, gentleness, Faithfulness, self-control—I probably missed something somewhere there. But perfect, all of the fruits of the spirit. There's nine of them. Perfect, perfection. That's what heaven's going to be like. And if you look at hell, I think it's going to be the exact opposite of that. I think that's the greatest description anyone can give of these two places. But you know what? I, I think about this. I think we can catch glimpses of heaven every now and then on Earth. I thought—I think about the leadership conference I had the privilege to attend at Calvary Baptist Church this past Tuesday. As the the group was up there playing, everyone was worshiping in one mind and one accord, singing the praises of God. And I want to tell you, I had glory bumps going all over my arms. It was so good. It also reminds me, I've mentioned before at Liberty University at my graduation, where over 14,000 people were worshiping in one mind and one accord. And that group there, my goodness, they did better than the original singers. Uh, What was the name of that song? It just left me. But anyhow, it was a good song. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was a good song. I had to get with you. My mind just stopped. I had to get with you after service to tell you. But I think about that, those those goosebumps that I have when people sing, thousands of people singing together in one minor one accord. Can you imagine The Bible says there are myriads and myriads of people. Can you imagine when you talk about billions and billions and billions of people from every tribe, language, and tongue, from every nationality, all different sorts of angels coming together, worshiping the Lord in one mind and one accord. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? I can't even fathom it. I can't even imagine what joy and wonder there's going to be in heaven. Beloved, eternity is worth working for. Amen. We have an eternal heaven awaiting us on the other side. Yes, there are troubles. Yes, there are tribulations. But understand, we have a wonderful heaven awaiting us. And as children of God, we, we can anticipate that. We can focus upon that and, and celebrate the fact that we're going to be where Christ is. That we have a heaven awaiting us. But well, where do we go from here? I want to leave you with two questions. Todd Upzinger, I think is his last name. I may have massacred his last name. He is the... Uh, how many of you have ever heard of Summit Church? J.D. Greer is the pastor there. A uh, wonderful church doing a wonderful work in Durham, North Carolina. Todd is the missions coordinator uh, for that church. And he says when they baptize individuals, they ask every candidate two questions. Number one, do you believe that Jesus has done everything sufficient for your salvation? And obviously the answer is yes, because salvation is only through Jesus. But number two, he asked the question... Are you willing to do what Jesus tells you to do? And are you willing to go where Jesus tells you to go? That's an important question. Because we have a mission, beloved. We're going to talk about this when we get to the part of talking about the church. We have a mission. We have a world out there that's lost and dying, doomed to hell, unless they receive Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We have the message that transforms. And beloved, this should be our motivating factor to tell other people about the wonderful heaven that's awaiting for them if they would simply receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. He's done all the work for us. We simply have to receive Him as our Savior in God. It's as simple as that. Make Him the Lord of our lives. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you here today. Have you made that commitment of faith Have you received Christ as the Lord of your life? If you have not, let me encourage you. Come on down. Come on down here and get it right. Everybody will celebrate your decision with you. I guarantee you that. We have some good folks here at Huntsville and everybody will celebrate that fact with you. If you're here today and you don't know that you've been saved, that you've been born again, make sure before you leave these doors that you make that commitment you're here today and maybe you have received jesus but maybe you've allowed the troubles of this life to burden you down and maybe you want to just focus upon the lord we encourage you to come down and redirect your thoughts to redirect your life or maybe you're here today and you'd like to join the ministry of huntsville baptist church whatever god is saying and doing in your heart and life we just encourage you to come and and do as he says dear kind and gracious heavenly father we thank you and praise you lord for all the blessings of life we thank you for loving us so much that you gave us heaven. You didn't have to. There was no one who told you that you had to, but you willingly chose of your own free will and volition to provide us heaven. And we thank you so much for that. Lord, we ask that you would lead, guide us, and direct us in this time of invitation. Have your will in your way. And we'll give you all the thanks and praise and glory for it all. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. Would you please stand as we sing our final selection? Number 305, I have decided to follow
0: the Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of BellatorChristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights are reserved. The views expressed by guests on the podcast are of those expressing them and may not represent those of the host Bellator Christi Ministries or its affiliates. The theme played on the podcast is the song Epic and is produced royalty-free by Bensound Studios, found at bensound.com. Visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe by entering your email to receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox absolutely free. This podcast can also be found on several podcasts podcatchers including iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We thank you for joining us today. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you next time as we enter into the arena of ideas.